This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. It's a beautiful morning. It's a beautiful morning and it's Monday morning. It's 9 a.m. and it is time for Deep South Dining. Good morning, Carol. Well, I call it Stormy Monday. It may be a beautiful morning, but can you see outside? Uh, it's a little wacky out there. Um, I will say, though, speaking of Stormy Monday, it is Chico Harris's birthday today, and he sent me uh, a version of the Almond Brothers Live at the Fillmore East Stormy Monday this morning. Well, oh, indeed. And, Chico and, and I were mind-melding. That's right. He also sent me uh, a text describing... Uh, his intentions today. So let me run it down for you. And he you. is our North Mississippi correspondent, so it's it's right that we start off with this. That's right. So he will go to Johnny's for the morning Johnny Burger, then to King Chicken for lunchtime of fried chicken and catfish. He's not sure about dinner. He's torn between the Ronzo at Ajax and the Dirty Greens and a slab of salmon at the Blue Canoe in Tupelo. He said it really just depends on where he's at at dinner time. Happy birthday, Chico. It's a beautiful thing. All right, Carol, what's been going on in the last week in your life? I've got a lot going on, but before we get to that, I want to congratulate you and the people of Boonville. Thank you. For your big wins um, this weekend, state basketball tournament. We won uh, just like Biggersville. We won. Yes, we are celebrating Biggersville at of course, our you're house. Alcorn County people. Yes. But just like Biggersville, Boonville won both the Women's and the Men's State Championship. And Tom Massey and I were there to take it all in at the big house. The Boonville boys. It was great. We rocked and rolled. Congratulations to Boonville High School Blue Devils. And Biggersville. I don't remember their mascot. I don't either. But if you know the Biggersville is... mascot, please give us a call. <laughs> All right, one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you know the Biggersville mascot, we'll buy you a hamburger. Maybe a Johnny Burger. Maybe a Johnny Burger. Good. Hey, we're in sync. <laughs> All right, so I will say this: Kara uh, made a beautiful Italian American soup. A chipino. She made a chipino. <laughs> and it was fine. It was fine. She, uh, of course, made the stock out of tomatoes and shallots and fish stock and white wine and potatoes. But she chose lobster and royal red shrimp, which is what was available at the market. And that's what you do with chipino. You use whatever's available. Well, because chipino is a fisherman stew. And I was just... Yeah, really fascinated when you told me she made it because I immediately got very hungry. So <laughs> I'm hungry now. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so, <laughs> I was I was looking it up and I forgot that Chipino is. I mean, it's an Italian. It is an Italian American dish. Born in San Francisco, the Ligurian, the Italian fisherman in San Francisco at the turn of the. 19th, no, at the turn, yes, in the late 1800s, let me say, <laughs> introduced Chipino 
Wow. But there's or also. Did we say Pino in Mississippi? Yeah, right. There's also an Italian version, a French version, and a Portuguese version. Yeah. Right? At, at least. It's, you know, every different port and area in the Mediterranean has their, has their you know, bouillabaisse bays in France. Right. Uh, you know, which is fish stock instead of tomato stock. Well, guess who's on the phone, Carol? One of our faves. Let me think. Could it be somebody who has been traveling around Mississippi who may be living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? That person, also a native of Varnaman, Mississippi. Please welcome the one and only April McGregor. Hello, April. Hi, Malcolm. Hi, Carol. Good morning. You're on the road this morning, girl. I am. Yes, in the rain. So, um, (laughs) It's on and off. We're driving north, so hopefully we'll drive out of the rain here soon. How many hours is that drive, my friend? Well, we're, we take it in two days, so we'll probably drive about eight hours um, or nine hours today and about the same tomorrow. So it's around 18 hours. Well, April, you are, you know, one of our goddesses of the food world, and, you know, we love checking in with you from time to time, but... Lots of people have enjoyed seeing your journey through Mississippi. I would say your culinary journey. Right. Let's cultural talk about journey. that. Yeah. Cultural. And- yeah. So tell us what you did, what you ate, who you saw, and where you went. So I um, have mostly been at my parents' house in Bardeman, uh, Mississippi, but also at my brother's house, which is in Calhoun City, Derma area, uh, basically Bardeman, right on the edge there. And then my sister, who lives in Starkville, I've also um, stayed a few nights in her house. So we've moved around a fair amount. Um, whenever I come home, my brother, who's an avid um, sportsman, always makes fried venison for us. Um, it's a special meal that we have. We had that. The big biscuits and gravy and mashed potatoes. And then we had fried crocky one night. Ooh. I myself this time because my brother was busy they're trying to bed sweet potatoes so he's been very busy working um so fried crappie night and then we always have what we call the country dinner day so my mom made a big sunday dinner with all the good vegetables um peas from the freezer from the garden summer garden and butter beans and fried okra and mashed potatoes and uh, Popeye's provided the chicken. My sister brought that. Well, I've, I've been watching the pictures on cooking and coping, and your brother's venison looks fabulous. And one thing that really caught my attention is he actually tenderizes it before he freezes it. Mm. Yes. So he is um, he, he and um, his uh, oldest son always um, uh, bag as many deer as they can in the winter time and he has a uh, mechanical tenderizer that he says if you just run all the venison slice it up thin run it all through the tenderizer and then put it up that when you go to cook it it's not there's nothing to it tenderize it and you know it's already tenderized so you just need to marinate batter and fry it or usually when when he doesn't have a lot of guests he actually grills it um it's his favorite way of doing it so look look delicious uh Another point of interest uh, on cooking and coping was the marinated vegetable salad on the plate. Yeah. And people were commenting, you know, what a throwback. I guess 
to the 60s, 50s and 60s. I know Tim Pierce in Memphis said he hadn't had marinated vegetable salad since he left the Southern Baptist. Well, my family never left, so maybe that, that, maybe that is the reason we still, it's still circulating. But I say that all the time. Is it retro if you never left it? Because it definitely never left our family table. But yeah. at the same time, it's classic. It left if it never left, it's classic. Exactly. Well, it, it evokes uh, it so starts- many memories for people. <laughs> yeah, people were rushing to the cans of beans. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it really <laughs> evoked a, a lot of conversation and, and a lot of memory. So, yeah, April, well, you know, in, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I just wanted to ask you a question. You mentioned uh, when you first came on the, the air that your brother was busy bedding the potatoes. Now, he grows these sweet potatoes. Please explain to our listeners what bedding the potatoes is. Well, um, if you want to uh, put out a lot of sweet potato plants into the ground, the first thing that you need is a lot of sweet potato slips or plants. You first have to grow your own slips. So you start out with actual potatoes, sweet potatoes, and you put them crowded together in in beds. Um, And all you want them to do is put up a little chute and then those will either get hand, some people handled, but, or, or get cut um, with a what they call a cutter and bundled, and then will be ready to be put out um, in the field, spaced out correctly, so that then they can you know grow um, a, a larger harvest in the field. The size of sweet potatoes and what kind of yield you get is largely controlled by how far apart in the field you space your plants. Um, but at this stage, we're not trying to grow actual potatoes. We're just trying to go grow more sprouts um, that will then be transferred into the field to yield the actual um, sweet potato harvest crop. Well, I'm visualizing um, this, and I have this is a, probably a really dumb question. But when you're saying that you're putting them in the ground, do you cut them in pieces before you put them in the ground, or half, or how how do you do that? So that so that is true for um, russet potatoes, but um, with sweet potatoes, um, they don't usually do that. They just, you know, have the seed potatoes, and, and you just um, cover a bunch of sweet potatoes up with some dirt. <laughs> That's basically all it, it amounts to, and they send out to you. Hmm. So do they have the the big, long vines like the decorative potatoes you see that are planted in pots for, because they grow all out and hang around? and. They definitely have that in the field towards the end of the season. But at this stage, we're just looking for one one little um, shoot to come out before they um, – you really just – it's just a single kind of strand gotcha. um, with a little root on the end, and that's what goes to the ground. Actually, it doesn't even need the root because um, it'll grow a new root when you uh, put it in some more dirt. So. Well, on the – April McGregor Traveling Show, I see you were headed to Sky Lake on the recommendation of Charlie Reeves, who's one of our listeners and a cooking and coping poster. How'd you find it? Yeah, um, so I, um, I, I'm i a naturalist. I love, you know, um, trees and wild spaces and all different kinds of landscapes, and I'm uh, always on the lookout for interesting places and my grandfather grew up um, outside of Batesville. He says on the first hill coming out of the Delta, and he, uh, there were lots of 
um, cypress trees on the land where he grew up, and I've always been really fascinated with cypress trees. So when I saw um, uh, Charlie's photos, I knew that I wanted to check that out. And I'd, you know, grown up less than two hours from there and never heard of it. So it was exciting to find a new sort of treasure in Mississippi like that. And I mean, it was it was absolutely gorgeous. We loved it. Um, the water's kind of high right now, so there, are, you know, we couldn't see. It was uh, the water was above the cypress knees, the sort of, you know, the part of the tree that pokes up out of the ground so that it can, you know, get oxygen even when the water's high. It was higher than that, and you mm. couldn't see a lot of the lobes that are kind of at the bottom of the cypress trees. So it was our views were a tiny bit obscured um, to some of the interesting parts of the cypress, but it was still a, a gorgeous place and just you know, majestic to see these gigantic trees. And for our listeners, this is outside of Belzona, and it is one of the, it has some of the oldest cypress, cypress trees known. And there's a beautiful yeah, board, a boardwalk um, that's, I don't know, April, a quarter mile long. I mean, it really takes you through the middle, you know, through the swamp, and uh, it's it should be a must for every Mississippian. A little hard to find. Sometimes you have to yeah. leave to come home, Carol. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. All the things you wouldn't know about is that you take for granted when you live here. Absolutely. Well, I also see you made a little tamale stop in Tupelo. I did. And we also made a tamale stop in Greenwood. We, we ate um, really good tamales at um, Honest Abe. It's a donut shop. Oh, yeah. in Greenwood. Um, and Leanne let me know, and I was able to find an interview that Amy Evans had done with, I believe it's Miss Pearl, who's the tamale maker. Yeah. She comes to a lot of the restaurants there in Greenwood. And they were fabulous, really fabulous. And in Tupelo, you were in at Scarlet's, or, or ate Scarlet's right. tamales. Yeah. Uh, another interesting donut slash tamale combo. <laughs> it seems to be the, the magic combination. <laughs> well, you set off uh, a storm on our Facebook cooking and coping when you put mustard on your tamales. It it uh, it brought a lot of response. Um, talk about it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? I actually first encountered. You know, my dad would put mustard on different things, and you know, we always ate them with um, saltine crackers. That was a big deal, but. You know, we had a lot of customers at Allen Mouth who would ask for a side of mustard with their tamales that we served there as well. So it's just something that, you know, some people ask for onions, some people ask for ketchup, some people ask for mustard, and, and, and pretty much everybody asks for hot sauce. So all of the things, you know, work. Um, uh, I guess tamales are friendly with a lot of different condiments, yeah. especially <clears throat> the, the, you know, the saucy sort that you often see um, in Mississippi. Tamales never met a condiment that they didn't love, <laughs> much like Carol and I. <laughs> so true, so true. There was a, a post recently of a, somebody eating tamales uh, on Cooking and Coping, and they put ketchup on it. And I just asked the question, ketchup on tamales? And their response was, always. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there you go. Uh, we also well, for me. Go, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, for me, a lot of the tamales kind of, especially when you put add a little onion to it and you add a cracker, they really remind you of like a chili dog or, you know, kind of like hot dog chili. So 
The mustard makes sense. To me, that's sort of the segue in my mind between tamales and mustard. Yeah, and and while we're talking about mustard and hot dogs, I have a complaint. Uh, I went to the basketball state playoffs, and of course, I got a hot dog. And I was happy to know that it was a Pokes hot dog, a local hot dog. I was so excited. But when I went to the condiment bar, everything was in little packets, which is fine. COVID, I get it. There was mustard, and there was ketchup. There was no pickle relish and no onions. Heresy. Uh, I, I, I was so disappointed, I almost tossed the, the hot dog in the, in the trash. Malcolm, you yeah, have to Yeah, I have cope. a really hard time. <laughs> so I, I'm reaching out the to the State part. Fair Commission and to the Coliseum operators. <laughs> Please bring back the sweet relish and the uh, chopped onions and the little packets, just like the mustard and the mayonnaise and the ketchup, and uh, you'll have a better hot dog for it. I wonder if we could make this as a cause. It would be one of the better causes to promote in these really terrible times you mean get behind the relish (laughs) relish 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 can we add costco to our request list because i have the same problem at costco yeah (laughs) Yeah, i think it's it was a convenient thing to do during covid and i'm i fear a lot of that kind of stuff will not come back but, That's exactly how I fear too. But we've got to we've got to demand the relish. Yeah. Demand the well, onion. We, we here are going to rally around the relish. Um, April. Job is just shaking his head. Know you know he, he believes in the relish and the onions. <laughs> I, I, I kind of don't. I'm just a, I'm just a mustard guy. I would have been I would have been satisfied. What? I would have been satisfied. Just straight up mustard. Oh. Just straight mustard. Nothing wrong with that. Purist. <laughs> April, I saw a comment on one of your posts from Leanne Galt, who is one of the founders of Cooking and Coping, and my personal favorite cook and a lot of other people's. Uh, and she said, I'm at the Viking Cooking School. Please come by and hug my neck. And a day later, I see a picture of you and Leanne. So tell us about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, we... Uh when, when my sister saw that she wrote that, she was like, well, actually, I would love to stop by the, the shop there at Viking, um, at the Viking Cooking School. So she was pushing for that to happen as well. And we did. And I thought, I said, well, let me just look around and see if I see Leanne. And, you know, it's all, you can see right into the cooking school there. And there she was. So I poked my head towards the glass and stared at her to see if she would see me. And uh, and she looked up and ran out as fast as she could and hugged my neck. Did she have a big class? Oh, yeah. And what was her menu of the, of that class? Do, do you recall? You know what? I don't know. What Didn't have time for it. But the menu of the class next door I saw had fried chicken and waffles. They were, it was like the early class which I thought looked mm. really great. Well, one day we want to get you in the Viking kitchen kitchen uh, with Leanne. We've you know, talked about having a cooking and coping weekend there and getting that would be amazing. Yeah, you and Bob Yarbrough and Tim Pierce and you know, some of the other real leaders that people look to for recipes and that that would be a fun thing to look forward to. Yeah. Coming that soon. Would, coming that soon. That sounds like a dream. For sure. So what's April? What's going on back home? What what's going on in your world uh, other than your visit to Mississippi? When you get home, what projects are you working on, on back there? 
Um, well, I am currently teaching a um, homeschool group, uh, a, ba- a baking class. Actually, Phil, my husband, and I teach a combination art bake. That's what we call the class, art bake. And he teaches drawing, and I teach um, science and history um, through food, through cooking. So that, we're getting our spring session started when we get back. That's one of the things that we're doing. Um, and I have some other, um, I'm, I'm, have some other things that I'm trying to, writing stuff that I've been working on, but that's the most, that's the thing I'm most excited about when we get back is to bake some more with some, uh, 11, 10, 11, 12 year olds. Great. And, and a shout out to Phil because I believe he won the first, um, Southern Foodways award. Keeper of the Flame. Keeper of the Flame. Is that, am I remember? I was on the committee. Um, it's. What was the? What was the? It's not Keeper of the Flame. No, it was something else. It was it was a, a new award that we created. Um, it, it has to do with making art that um, that uh, recognizes food. You know, that has a lot of food and right. cultural through the lens of food and, and exactly right. Right. Um, anyway. I could remember that, but we, yeah, cat's got her tongue, I guess. But uh, but yes, he he did win that um, year some some years ago, and he is still making art, and it definitely still has a lot of cultural and food references. So so it's fun to intentionally combine the two into our course that we're currently teaching. Great. Well, we are happy that you joined us today. Uh, good luck and be safe on the road home and. Uh, we are so happy that you shared your visit back in Mississippi so we could jump on board and, and share that as well. We always appreciate keeping up with you and all the great things that you do. And we're going to let you go now so you can focus on the road. And uh, we will see um, you next time. And hopefully we'll, we'll gather in Greenwood, as Carol said. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. All right. April McGregor, one of our favorite posters and contributors. I guess now we'll take a break. We've got some phone calls when we come back. We've also got Mike Wagner joining us from Two Brook Farms. He's the owner and operator. He's big into to sustainability and growing all of these amazing varieties of rice right here in the Mississippi Delta. And we're going to learn a whole lot more about that. So stay tuned. Uh, Carol and Java and I will return shortly and continue the conversation. And you are welcome to join us. 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult. And yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101 podcast everywhere. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Carol Puckett, Malcolm White, Java Chapman. And uh, before, in the first segment, besides a lovely visit with April McGregor, who's on the road home, uh, we uh, talked a little bit about the state basketball playoffs and uh, that Boonville had won both the women's and men's state championship. But Biggersville did as well. And I couldn't come up with the mascot. But uh, Kevin Farrell took care of that. The Biggersville High School mascot are the Lions, the Mighty Lions. All right, we're going to the phone now. Brother Daniel's calling us from the Gula, Pascagoula, Mississippi. Hello, brother. 
Hey, how you doing, my brother from another mother? All is well. <laughs> What's going on in your realm? Uh, we got a lot of rain right now, but uh, you talk my favorite thing. This is what's going to save the world. Food. <laughs> Recipe. You know what I mean? I mean, when you think about Mississippi, you think about all the different cultures, you know? And I think that's what brings the peace. My girl just made a... Check this out now. Listen carefully. Okay. A blueberry king cake bread pudding. Wow. Ooh. We're in. <laughs> I mean, do you need a mailing address? you need a shipping address? I, I think mean, he should show oh up. Next. We're all over this. <laughs> I'm going to have to try to make that again with a little bit of rum. We only put a little bit because there was some, some kids eating, you know. Mm. They say the alcohol goes, but we don't want them to act too crazy. No, but, no, um, no, You know what I mean? But um, what I was getting ready to tell you, uh, Costco and Mobile, they got the pickle relish. They got the pickle relish. All right. Yeah. All right. But what I want to find out was, and I know you know, is this the best time for uh uh, golf, coast, shrimp. Golf, coast, shrimp. Yeah. Well, you know, they they shrimp year-round down on the coast. I think there are times when certain types of shrimp, like the white shrimp, are running the brown shrimp. But I think there's always shrimp uh, at, Pas- at Pas Christiane or, or some of the harbors there. Uh, I'm not a shrimp expert, but uh, I do know that seasonally different types of shrimp what run as they call them and are available but carol you you lived there in uh past christian for a long time and your father knew more about shrimp than dr shrimp you know i I really can't answer this question but i'm having a a flashback um, to a time when martha stewart was doing a shrimping story for her magazine and was staying at my family's home in past christian and horror of horrors, the shrimping season was something was a week from opening, or they had postponed it, and it just got oh, got no. to be a terrible thing with the marine resources people. And the you know we had the shrimp boat, she had the crew, she had the photographers, and we had to go out on the boat, and the boat could not even let its nets touch the waters mm. by you know. By uh, law, rules and so regs. Mm-hmm. you know, I know there are some rules and regs, but um, it was a, fla- a horrible flashback. Wow. Well, we'll we'll do better. <clears throat> we'll do some research, uh, brother, and we'll get back to you on shrimp season on the Mississippi Gulf Coast because that's something we need to know a little bit more about. And tell that good cook in your home hello for us, please. And please send the bread pudding, king cake with blueberries. Thanks for your call. Thanks for listening to Deep South Dining. Carol, I wanted to clear up one thing. When I was talking uh, with April about um, Phil, her husband's award, yes. and I, I stumped myself, the, the, award, the award is the John Edgerton Award. And I should know this because I was on the committee, and so was John Edgerton, who was with us at that time. But Phil was, I believe, the first recipient of that award, which is awarded every year uh, by the Southern Food Alliance. Now, in memory of John Edgerton, who was a giant, giant in the Southern food world, you know, recording um, and really, really setting down lots, lots of the history of Southern food. And if you don't have his book Southern Food uh, at home and on the road, you got to get it. If if you 
call yourself uh, aficionado of Southern food or Deep South Dining or the Southern Foodways Alliance or whatever, if you don't have this book and you haven't read it a couple of times, I'm just saying, now's the time. John Edgerton. A giant. Mike Wagner. A giant. And now, and now. Mike Wagner, a giant among rice farmers. One of our... Uh, you know, beloved cooking and coping members, a rock star. A, a rock, rock star, star indeed. It took us years to get him on the show. <laughs> Welcome, Mike Wagner. Thank you for having me. I'm bashful, and uh, this may be the last time I ever speak to anyone in my life. Oh, no, man. We met your son, by the way, at the Mardi Gras event uh, in Drew. Um, he came by and was so kind and thoughtful and Said hello to all of us. As you may know, Carol and Java and I were the Grand Marshals. Yeah, he offered us uh-huh. up, uh, plenty of plenty of rice, Mike. So if, you, if you're missing, <laughs> if you're missing a, a couple of bags of product, then uh, you have to look to your son. <laughs> look, we have we have plenty more. Don't don't run out down there. But I want to set the stage for you, Mike. We're sitting here in the studio with one, two, three, four, five, six samples of your rice. And I've claimed mm-hmm. Scarlet and, and the, Miss, the Miss Marty. These are mine. And, uh-huh. and, and Leanne Galt prepared these for us so we could not only enjoy them, but eat them while we talk to you. So, uh, And we're fighting over this. There's one that's the Miss Marty with goat cheese, mid, wait, goat cheese Midlands with roasted shallots and lemon. And we're, we're fighting. It's tough to eat and talk, but we're doing the best we can, Mike. You'll have a nap in 30 minutes. (laughs) So tell us, where is the rice farm or farms? Uh, Mainly it's in my imagination, I think. (laughs) Uh, It's a kind of a state of mind. But I farm in Tallahatchie County, uh, which is uh, halfway between Greenwood and Clarksdale. Farm in the middle of nowhere. And it straddles uh, LaFleur, Tallahatchie, and we farm a little bit in Sunflower County. Um, had the land for 30 years. And I'm a multi-generation, 10th generation to farm. This is to be our family's 270th or 72nd straight crop in the United States. Wow, so you were, you got in early, I, I suppose. Well, yeah, they rolled stones at my folks in Scotland, so they came in 1650 <laughs> to Boston and started farming in the Shenandoah Valley in 1742. And I've been farming ever since. We we wore out land, and I finally figured out how to quit wearing out my land. Hmm. Yeah, so when did rice start being grown in the Mississippi Delta? I think in the 40s or 50s, and it uh, there was, I think there were some people from South Louisiana that came up on some of the less desirable cotton land on the heavy clay buckshot. And uh, if, if you're down in Washington County, everyone down there claims to have had the first rice farm in their family. But um, the uh, it was grown, um, uh, and then it spread to Tunica and Tallahatchie and uh, certainly Bolivar County, which is the largest rice-producing county in the state. Hmm. Now, you work hard <clears throat> to make your rice uh, sustainable and, and, and grown hmm. properly. Talk about what you do. To produce healthier rice and what that's all about to you um well i'm going to tell you how it came about because i'm not a very good farmer and i'm a cheapskate and i <laughs> i didn't have a 
lot of resources to spend, and I started noticing things that actually benefited from not spending money and, and farming with less. Uh, less is more in this case, but um, we were able to incorporate uh, wildlife. We kind of inserted our farm back into I'm a tree hugger, and uh, we kind of inserted our farm back into the local environment and ecology. Uh, I like to say that we try to grow rice for mankind and nature. And uh, that includes so, birds, I guess, huh? Birds. It all starts in the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, bacteria and viruses and fungi and algae, and they support uh, every degree of mollusk and crawfish, and then shorebirds and ducks and snakes and turtles and everything else. And those ducks and geese uh, mm. fertilize probably why two thirds of our fertilize. So wow. Um, I can I can take you to different parts of the farm just about blindfolded and taste the soil and uh, know about where it came from on my place. How many different types of soil do you have that you farm? Uh, I have two. I have about 100 acres of uh, what might be considered marginal cotton land, and then I have a few thousand acres of what would be considered very tough, heavy clay soils Hmm. buckshot gotcha so the uh famous alluvial soil of the mississippi delta do you grow in any of that or are you more on the edge there no i'm i'm right smooth in the middle of it in the middle Uh, i can tell you yeah i can tell you a little story i irish well digger years ago that was uh at 85 feet with his equipment and he heard a clanking in the in the pipes and uh he was fond of taking a drink at one and at two he dove down in the sluice pit and dug out what he heard clanking and it was a meteor i have it Whoa. i'm looking at it sitting in my office 85 feet deep wow these soils are goodness and, and and all of this as i understand it i'm certainly not in the business is 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 comes from the river from the flooding of the river right Yes, they. You know, we're told at one time the Gulf of Mexico extended up here. So, um, and I'm my farm is at 120 feet uh, above sea level. So I suspect it was. Uh, maybe the waters were deeper back then. But anyway, we I expect we were under water at one time, and it's all filled in by the Mississippi River, the whole North America. Wow. wow, Mike, I've been wanting to ask ask this question of a rice farmer here. Um, I have seen rice grown in Asia, and in fact, Mm -hmm. uh, some years ago when I was working for Viking, I went to Vietnam for a few weeks with, we were taking a group of chefs to, you know, really understand the cuisine, and during that trip, I saw rice fields with, I mean, there would be a hundred people in the rice field, you know, in water, ankle or calf deep inserting the mm-hmm. plants which i'm sure is the ancient way of growing that they still do and so you know the week after i get back i'm driving on highway eight from greenville i mean greenwood to uh Ruville, uh in cleveland and looking at the rice fields on either side of the street i mean it looked like being in the mekong delta it it, it mm-hmm. really did but how how do our farmers get the rice plants in the paddies? Most use mechanical means. 
uh, with grain drills, and we do some of that. Uh, that's the that's the American waste done in all across the rice belt. Uh, but most of mine is planted with an airplane. We sprinkle germinated seeds into standing water we've collected all winter, just trying to save water and the fertilizer that's been built up in that. So uh, there's this guy from Japan, I think, Inamo, uh, and it's called the Inamo Method, but he he uh, he uses ducks to weed his fields, and I finally figured out we were doing his method in reverse. So our system is a little akin to what they do in the Far East, more so than a lot of people's. And that's, that's really interesting. Fascinating. So, Mike, talk to us a little bit about the different varieties that you grow and uh, why you have selected these. And it is, is it because of the market or because your uh, farm uh, is just uh, sort of designed to grow this type of rice? It, uh, some of that, uh, economics, health. Uh, I used to be chairman of the Western Hemisphere's uh, rice promotions, and I would travel uh, back and forth primarily through Latin America, the huge varieties of rice eaters down there, 130 to 150 pounds per capita. We're about 25 pounds in the U.S. Um, but uh, was flying back one day, and it occurred to me, I don't know what I'm doing promotions down there for when we have a food desert in our own backyard, and that's when I built a mill. And we were the kind of long-grain rice I grow is a high amylose rice versus amylopectin. A straight, it's a straight-line starch. It's healthier for diabetics. And it goes into your blood system. What uh, is the name of that rice? Uh, we call it Delta Bell. It's a it's an it's a rather old variety. Uh, it's not the top yielder, but it's consistent in its milling qualities and its health attributes. Good. We don't have that one, and we've been uh, we've been munching on, on rice here. But Delta Bell is not not one we have this morning. I don't think. Yeah, it's it's not an aromatic variety, but eaten fresh when it's fresh milled, it's it's a rock star. It's a firmer textured rice. Then we have what we call misamati. We have that in brown and white, and then uh, the brokens are turned into the midlands or the grits. We have a jasmine. We have uh, we're working on a short grain. We're going to call misasushi. Um, that'll be a sushi rice, of course. We have uh, black rice. We call sable. Uh, it is ridiculously healthy with uh, anthocyanins and fiber and uh, we have a red rice called scarlet which has been researched by the national institute of health and the university of uh, or the usda it's great for uh, colon issues it's very digestible and adds compounds phenols is what they're called to your diet very healthy rice and we've got a couple others in the pipeline, but I can't tell you what they are. It's a secret. <laughs> it's a secret. So yeah. talk a little bit about the Mizamati rice, which is a type of bismati. Which uh, we are really enjoying. That's right, which I believe is traditionally it, grown in India, Pakistan, and Nepal. Correct. Uh, it is, uh, the, the variety we grow of, is, a, is a hybrid of sorts. It is uh, uh, has American long grain attributes, but it has the the two uh, AP, the two acetyl one pyrroline, which is carbon, nitrogen, hydrogen, and oxygen atoms, which give it that scent, the uh, the popcorny scent. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, it's it has a lower level of amylose than an Indian variety, but it, without the carbon footprint of hauling it across the uh, Pacific Ocean, and it, it has a higher 2AP content, the, 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 that scent. Uh, I think it's around 800 to parts per million versus an Indian basmati, which would be four to 700 parts per million. Uh, it's a knockout in the kitchen when you're cooking it. It, it, it takes over the the uh, airwaves, so to speak. Wow. It, it, it's been a lot of fun to see through our Facebook page, Cooking and Coping, which you know, you have you have been so generous uh, sharing your knowledge with people that you know, th- this rice is really made for cooks. And it's I love seeing when somebody tries it for the first time. You know, they are such an appreciative uh, audience and seeing the recipes that people come up come up with uh, the scarlet and the sable and the mismati it really catches the imagination of cooks who want to take their food to you know to the next level um, I know that yeah you know, people have been ordering from you but tell tell our listeners ha- how they can get the rice well, you can call me. My cell is six six two four five eight triple oh nine, and I can mail you some. But other than that, uh, my kids tell me to shut up and go farm, and they'll take care of the marketing. Uh, the uh, they have a website. It's twobrooksfarm dot com, and then I, they sell in Jackson and the Summit to Floor Butchers, a little on the coast. There's a little in Memphis. Uh, it's scattered around. I. I'm, and it's a pretty widely distributed in food services, a lot served around the state and in the, in the South. But I, to be honest with you, just I just have to bring you rice. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the rice grits uh, earlier, but you uh-huh. talk just a little bit about what is rice grits. And also you have a rice flour, and I'm assuming that would be something you could bre- use for breading to, to for fried foods. Correct. The uh, the grits uh, b- before the American Revolution, rice was grown in, in the South Carolina, in Georgia, and uh, out of economy, they sent the whole grains to Europe, and they kept the brokens, and they, they became uh, not only for the the labor on the farm, but the the big households. They had fabulous recipes. So we we learned to do the same thing. Those are the brokens. We have a machine in our mill that will segregate the whole grains, the half and two-thirds, and the really short grains, the grits, the middlings. And I've I've learned that those grits absorb flavors better than corn grits. Without they don't have the oils. They 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 really expose whatever you're trying to cook with in lighter, more succinct fashion. Uh, the flowers, uh, we have a stone grist mill that I bought. It's, it's new, but it's, uh, it's, it is granite stones. And my daughter sometimes begrudgingly sits in there and grinds flour when it's 100 degrees out. And it, um, that does make a lighter batter. It's, makes a, I call it diet fried chicken. Uh, <laughs> but you can season it up with chicken and it goes nicely on fishes. It's great for, Pan-aid fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it's uh, no gluten in it, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a nice product. It's a pretty popular in the Tennessee, in the Nashville and, uh, area, Nashville North. Uh, I, w- I would say, Carol, you know, thinking about frying uh, or panaying, uh, 
a piece of fish or shrimp uh, or chicken even with with this rice flour would be kind of like you know popping corn and eating seafood at the same time and imagining those two sounds good to me yeah like popcorn in the air yeah uh, and mike uh you came to my attention really a couple of years ago during covid when you uh, made a donation of two thousand pounds of rice to extra table and the way I found out about it, I was gonna gonna talk to somebody from Extra Table, and they were too too busy to talk because they had volunteers lined up, you know, bagging, you know, bagging one pounds uh, of rice. And yeah, talk a little bit about your thoughts about feeding the world. Um, I'm I'm a very blessed man. I. I was given the best earth on the planet to farm on, and um, I've been un- unwarrantedly uh, successful, and I have to give back. I, the, I, I don't consider the earth mine. I consider it the whole planet's, but I'm the steward. And in that, um, I'm not the best farmer. We'll often have some weeds in our rice, and we can kind of clean it up, and sometimes my rice buyers object, and I just tell them to hush up. I'll give it away. And we do. We've, during COVID, we gave uh, five tractor trailer fulls of milled rice across the U.S. We've given, uh, I don't know, 50 to 60, 7,000 pounds to extra table. We've got another state organization that's interested. Uh, give it away. Uh, we have rice being hauled in Mexico, Matamoros, right now from a local ministry. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate. And uh, I'm I want to share that. Mike, which of your rices would you say is would be best for, say, a plate of red beans and rice or rice for gumbo? I'm just nuts about that white misamati or the brown misamati. Mm-hmm. Java, um, didn't we have the misamati in it drew? I think we had, we had uh, I know we had the misamati and the jasmine. Right. Um, I can't remember for which. The jambalaya, place, I yeah. think it was. The, the mis- jambalaya was yeah. the Mizamati. Mizamati. Mm-hmm. I think so. it was. It was absolutely delicious. Yeah, I got. A, I got a question, Mike. I want to um, ask you because I know you've been in the business a long time. Um, what, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but when did you, I guess, get away from the the box rice, the the on the shelf rice, and say it's a it's a different path out here? When you, I guess you upped your, your rice palate because what I ha- what we have in front of us is different than what you can go get in the shelf. I'm not gonna call any names, but we all know uh, about the uncle. <laughs> what you can, you can. Uh, hey, this is this is this is a little different, Mike. Well, it's it's just like going to the farmers market. You're going to get fresher food there than you are in the at the Whole Foods or the Kroger or anywhere else, uh, and we. We mill our rice on demand, so to speak. We have a chill room that we can keep it the brown the, in the brand fresh, uh, and but we may mill two or three weeks ahead of time and uh, get it out promptly to order. And you're, what you're tasting is the freshness. Yeah. Do you have a favorite, Mike? I mean, I know you don't. We don't. Not supposed to talk about. It's like our, picking a favorite child. But you know, what do you go to when you just feel like it? Sable. It's so healthy. I had some. I cook a pot of rice uh, nearly every day, but I put some on a hummus wrap this morning with spinach. And, mm. um, and I just, I, 
crazy about the sable. It's very healthy. My grandfather loved fried eggs and rice growing up. I mm. had that all the time, and I'm sitting here thinking, which which rice would I choose for my fried eggs and rice? Well, a good trick is to use cold rice like a stir fry, in a stir-fry mm-hmm. and uh, just splash some white or brown misamati or jasmine or delta bell or any of it in there. Crisp it lightly with some scallions or some um, chopped vidalias or something, and... Uh, and just throw an egg on there, and maybe top it, and have a not a, what would you call it over a soft egg. Yeah, over light, over easy. That. Yeah. Gosh, uh-huh. that and that good. way you, you get the texture and you get the taste. Uh, I'm all about texture and taste. I like that combination. Mm-hmm. Java just had his first bite of sable of this dark black rice. I and thought he, the, he's, I thought the mm-hmm. scarlet was my one, but this sable. I want to know what's on it, and I know he's going to tell me nothing is on. You mean what, what it's cooked? What? Yeah, is what, it just water, or we don't know because Leanne cooked it and she's not here. It's just it's, it's, <laughs> that she's quite a talented chef, <laughs> uh, and she has a broad imagination. Uh, we're lucky to have her in our midst. Uh, I cook mine in stock a lot of times. I might splash a little white wine in there, depending on what what effect I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how she cooked that, but um, well, she could te- nice she could crisp. text me right now and and tell me uh, tell me what she did because she Java but she's yeah. probably busy yeah, making a living. working this blue jasmine that scarlet I'm, 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 and I'm really I guess like you say Mike it's the freshness yeah it's, the it's freshness. yeah I just got a text from uh, another listener and a great friend Thomas Williams just texted me this Leanne, from Nashville Tennessee that's right. He says, Leanne Galt was kind enough to gift me a variety of Two Brooks Farms rice, and I can attest that this is some of the finest rice that I have ever had. And that is high praise. From a man who loves his rice. And loves his food and likes to eat at the top of the food chain. At the top. That's right. Like like Java, we're going to have to go out and search for Java's birthday for some sable rice. This is top tier. This is top tier. Oh, I'll... I'll drop you some off. I go to the coast frequently. I'll drop some off at we'll, the station. We'll take all you can drop. Okay. <laughs> Mike, we are grateful uh, for what you do, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. I know you were somewhat reluctant. Uh, you're sort of a bashful fellow, but you did magnificently, <laughs> and we'd love to have you back. Thank and you. we want to do what we can to promote um, great Mississippi products. And, sir, you have one of the finest, and, and we thank you for it. Thank and you. one of our, our listeners again says, where can you buy it? And it's at twobrooksfarm.com. Dot, dot com. You know, there's a, a Freshway Produce usually carries it. They've just opened back up, but they may have some in, shortly. Yeah, in, ja- some in Jackson and Flora Butcher here. Uh-huh. And if people Flora will let us know around the state where they buy it, we'll talk about that too next time. Eat more Bye. rice. Thank you. John Wagner, thanks so much for joining us. Mike, Mike. I said John, I'm sorry. John Wayne. (laughs) Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners like you, and we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, and our special guest today, April McGregor and Mike Wagner and Leanne Galt, who was here because in spirit she cooked the rice. I'm Malcolm White, and we ask you now to stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey's show. Now you're talking. 
followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And we ask that you join us next Monday for more Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission.